tonight. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 29. This is one of those sermons where uh, we're covering really the span of an entire uh, an entire life of a guy's life. And so it's going to be a little bit difficult for us to read at the beginning uh, all that we're going to cover. We're really not. Uh, we're just going to read kind of the end of the story. Sometimes it's good to start with the end of the story and then kind of back up and, and, and see how this how this disaster happened. And uh, so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to start kind of at the end of Lot's life and kind of the, uh, the, the, the uh, climax of, of his story, I guess you could say. And then we're going to back up and, and do some, uh, some research about how Lot ended up where he did in his life. Genesis chapter 19, uh, verses 15 is where I'm going to pick up. And that is right in the midst of God about to judge uh, Sodom and Gomorrah about to rain fire and brimstone from the heavens upon uh, this valley, these two cities. And in verse 15, it says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and they set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape, escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I will grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had arisen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained Sodom and Gomorrah, sul- rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from, from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Father, we thank you for the word of God and we thank you, Lord, that you're a just God, um, that you are righteous and holy. And Father, that uh, we, we understand, God, that every sin will be punished either, either by those who commit sin or, or by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Father, we, we are thankful that not only are you a just God, but you're also a merciful God. And you're also a God of grace and a God of great patience, a God who is slow to anger. And Father, we, we, we could not live without those attributes. Uh, Lord, we, we owe you everything. Uh, we're just like Lot. God, you had to take us by the hand uh, and jerk us out of our sin and jerk us out of, out of the way of your judgment and wrath. And Lord, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for that today. God, help us to be people that, that don't immerse ourselves in, in a sinful world. Uh, Lord, help us to be a people that are influencers and not those who are influenced. God, help us to be salt and light. 
Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the last couple weeks we've been looking at a guy named Abraham. And uh, this week we're moving from Abraham to Lot. Now, uh, who is Lot and why is he here? Well, Lot is Abraham's nephew. Basically, when Abraham hears the promises of God... Uh, he believes the promises of God. And remember what we've learned the last couple of weeks. Whenever you believe the promises of God, that moves your life in a certain direction. And it moves Abraham toward Canaan, toward the promised land. Now, Abraham, like many other people of faith, hopefully like you, whenever he's moved by the promises of God, whenever he, he believes God and his life begins to move, he brings other people with him. Isn't that a cool picture? Uh, Abraham brings other people with him. Hopefully, God, when God has moved in your life, that you're bringing other people with you as well. And, and so Abraham brings Lot. He brings his nephew and, and, and all that Lot has. And so, so Lot is, is coming with Abraham to the promised land. And, and so that, that's, how Ab- that's how Lot and Abraham both end up in this place, okay? Now, the thing about Lot that you're going to have trouble with probably, that a lot of people try, have trouble with, is, is is Lot a good guy or a bad guy? You, you know in the old Western movies, uh, one of the great things about those, it was really clear who's a good guy and who's a bad guy, right? Because what? They, they, they wore different color hats, you know? I mean, all the good guys, they had white hats. And all the bad guys, they had black hats. And so it, it was really clear, you know, who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. You never had to wonder, is this guy really good? Is this guy really bad? A lot of movies today aren't that way, you know? You don't know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is until the very end. Well, that's kind of like Lot. I mean, if, if Lot's wearing a hat, his hat is gray, okay? That, that's, that's what color hat he has. Because you're just sometimes you're like, okay, is this a good guy? Is this a bad guy? Is Lot a person of faith? Is he a wretch, you know? What, what, what's, what's the problem with this guy? And really, that's a lot like life today, isn't it? I mean, it's really not usually as clear as white hat, black hat with a lot of people. A lot of times when you're looking at somebody's life, you kind of wonder as well. You know, this person professes Christ and they, they say they're a Christian and on Sunday I see them. And, but you know, there's other things about their life that, man, they really puzzle me. And you know what? Let's not talk about other people. How about yourself? Is, is it sometimes unclear? You know, do you, do you ever find things coming out of your mouth? Do you ever find you, you living in a certain way or acting in a certain way or doing the same thing, kind of like Abraham over and over again? And you begin to wonder, man, am, am I a good guy or am I a bad guy? I, am I righteous or am I not righteous? Am I a believer or am I not a believer? Sometimes it's not very clear. And folks, here's the thing. I don't want my life to look like Lot's, okay? If you want to know one of the basic things I'm going to try to get across to you today is don't look like Lot. Don't be like this guy, okay? Uh, now, now, he is a righteous guy. We're going we're gonna to see that in a minute. But, but let me tell you, there's a lot in his life that really makes you wonder whether, whether he's the real thing or not. Whether he's got faith or whether he doesn't. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 19. That's kind of the end, toward the end of Lot's life. And basically what we have in Genesis 19 is God's wrath being poured out on the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If we go back to Genesis chapter 18, we see Abraham having a conversation with God. Actually, Abraham is interceding. This may not look a lot like a prayer, but this is a prayer. But Abraham hears, Abraham understands, God, God reveals it to him that his wrath is going to come down on these cities. In chapter 18, verse 20... It says, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Verse 21, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So basically what God says is, look, I have heard the wickedness of this city. You know, this is the second time we've run into this, haven't it? Haven't we? That the outcry of sin comes up to the ears of God. You remember in, in, in the story of Cain and Abel, we looked at that about a month ago. Remember what happens? God says, man, the blood of Abel is crying out in my ears. And we talked about then that 
that sin, sin cannot be overlooked by God because sin screams in the ears of God for judgment to come down upon it. Okay, Sin can't be dismissed. God can't just overlook sin. Sin is never unnoticed by God because what we see in Genesis is it cries out to God. And not only their sin, not only the sin of, uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin of Cain, but our sin. We've got to believe sin is sin. And so we've got to believe whenever we sin, that sin cries out in the ears of God for judgment. And our only hope is the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ that covers us. But folks, don't, don't ever be misunderstood. God cannot ignore or dismiss sin. Now... God is slow to mercy, or slow, slow to anger, I'm sorry. God is quick to mercy and slow, slow to anger. God is gracious, gracious. God is patient. You know, sometimes you, you, you may get upset, and I may get upset, because we don't think God's justice is coming quick enough. Have you ever been there in your life? Where, where you, you know, usually it's something done against us, or something done against our family. And man, we want God's justice now. You know, we're, we're, sometimes we get really discouraged because we don't see God making right the wrongs that we think ought to be made right. But let me tell you, hey, we all, we all ought to give thanks today that God is not a God who has a, has a hair trigger, okay? God is not a God who is quick to anger. God is not a God who, who, is, who is impatient. God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of patience. And if he were not so, you and I would not be here today. We would already be suffering for our sins. So praise God that he is a God of patience. But know this, be assured of this. God will judge every sin. Okay? Now, the question that comes up in chapter 18 is whether God will judge the righteous with the wicked. Okay? What's happening here in chapter 18 and, and the rest of chapter 18 is Abraham saying, Okay, God, hold on. I, I hear what you're saying. You're going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. You're going to rain down your wrath upon those cities. But what's Abraham thinking? Abraham's thinking, I know somebody who lives in that city. That's my nephew. That's Lot. Lot, Lot lives there. And that bothers Abraham. And, and you know what? It ought to bother you and I. When we see someone and they, we think they're righteous, we think they're a believer, but boy, their life sure doesn't look like it. And their life looks like they're going to be under the judgment of God. That ought to bother us as well. And so Abraham begins to intercede for Sodom. He begins to intercede for basically for Lot. Okay, And Abraham's like, oh, hold on, Lord. There's a, there's a righteous man there. I know he is. God, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? So basically what Abraham is saying is, look, God, are, are you unjust? Would you do that? Would you, would you destroy a righteous man as well? Look in verse 25. That's kind of the crux of Abraham's prayer. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous should fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth, that's God, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham's really on thin ice here. He gets really, really close to, you know, several times if you read this prayer, he's like, okay, God, you know, please just pray one more time. Let, let, me, let me come to you one more time. But basically, God says, no, no, I won't do that. And Abraham says, okay, God, if there's 50 righteous people, are you going to destroy those cities? You know, what if those two big cities that are full of wicked people, what if there's 50 righteous in them? Are you going to destroy them? And God says, no, I won't destroy them. If there's 50 righteous, I won't destroy them. So Abraham comes back and he says, okay, God, what if there's five less than 50? What if, what if we're just missing five? What if there's 45? Are you going to destroy it for 45? God says, no, I won't destroy it for 45. Abraham says, okay, I don't want to push my luck here, God, but what if there's 40? You know, and God says, I won't destroy it if there's 40. What if there's 30? I won't destroy it if there's 30. What if there's 20? I won't destroy it if there's 20. What if there's 10? God, what if there's 10? What if in, in those entire two cities, what if can be found 10 righteous people? Are you going to destroy for 10? Let me show you what God says in verse, I believe it is uh, 28. Chapter 18, verse 28. 
Suppose five of the... No, no, that's where it begins. It's up in... uh, There it is, 32. Oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again, but this one. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. I really think Abraham thinks, phew, you know, God... God's not going to do it. God's not going to, you know, surely there's 10. I mean, he's probably thinking in his head, there's six in Lot's family alone. You know, there's Lot and his wife and there's his two daughters and, and his two daughters are engaged to these two men, the two, two son-in-laws. You know, sure, there's, there's six right there. Surely, you know, the, those six and surely there's five more or four more in the entire twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the entire valley. Surely there can be found four more plus Lot's family and God will spare the city. Now, really, that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome when you think about it. God says, I, look, I, I, will, I will not judge these entire cities. You, you know what it also teaches? It teaches that the righteous are a preserving element in society. Have you ever thought about that? Remember when Jesus said in Matthew five thirteen, you are the salt of the earth? Remember when he said that to believers? Uh, you're the salt of the earth. One, one of the things I think he meant there is, is believers are a preserving agent. You know, believers in a certain city, in a country, in a world, preserve. They hold back the judgment of God. And so Abraham leaves there thinking, okay, I, this deal's not going to happen. Sure, there's ten righteous people. Um, remember, what, what makes you righteous, though? What makes you righteous is that you're a, you're a believer. You're, you're, you're a person who's responded in faith to the promises and the character of God. Remember last week we saw Abraham is righteous. How? Because he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But there were not ten righteous people in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God destroys the cities, okay? Now, what about Lot? Well, Second Peter answers that question for us. What's going to happen here with Lot? In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9, talking about this very passage, the Lord says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Okay? So referring to Sodom and Gomorrah, Peter says, Look, God knows how to rescue the righteous. God, God will not judge the righteous, and God will not let the wicked go. Okay? The wicked will be punished. The righteous will be delivered. What if they're all living together in one place? You know what? God says, I, I, will, I will figure that out. Okay? We know what's going to happen in the end, right? Which is kind of a picture of the end. And when Jesus comes back again in the final judgment, what's God going to do? God is going to pluck the righteous from the earth. You know, the Bible says two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two people will be in their bed. One will be taken. One will be left. In other words, God is going to thoroughly part the righteous and the wicked. And he's going to judge the wicked and he's going to deliver the righteous. And that's exactly what happens here in Genesis chapter uh, 18 and 19 when God judges Sodom and Gomorrah. So what happens is God sends two angels. He sends two angels to the to the twin cities. And uh, they're disguised as men, so they, they're in the form of men. And immediately, what happens is the wickedness of Sodom is seen because the the it says the, it says every man actually verse four it says before they lay down the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man. So what it wants us to what it wants the Bible wants us to see is not, this is not just a couple people. I mean, this is thoroughly thoroughly saturated wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. They all come to to Lot's house. Lot has taken the men into his house. And, and they want to have homosexual relationships with these men. Now, Lot shows his character here in Genesis 19 by, by, by describing their character as wicked. In, in chapter 19, verse 7, 
He says, and I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. If we go into Second Peter again, it talks about Lot's character. And it says in verse 7 and 8, And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed, it's describing Lot here, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, we get a little glimpse into, into, the, into Lot's heart. What was happening? Lot was, was grieved, distressed, and tormented by the wickedness that was around him. Okay? And that's a mark of a believer, isn't it? I mean, that, that is a mark of a believer that if you're a born-again believer, that's going to happen with you. You won't be able to sit and watch filth on your TV without being distressed in your soul. You're not going to be able to go watch a filthy movie without being distressed in your soul. You're not going to be able to hear you know, the Lord's name taken in vain and, and without having some sort of angst inside of your soul. Okay, You're not going to be able to be comfortable with wickedness. Not just the wickedness of others, but your own wickedness is going to bother you. Your, your own sin is going to bother you. There's going to be a conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Okay? Now, Lot is not perfect by any means. We're going to see that in just a second. But, but, but the Bible's clear here that his heart belonged to God. He was a person of faith. And because of that, he was greatly distressed by the wickedness that he saw around him. So, so Lot tries to stop this thing. He tries to protect these guys. He brings them into his house. He goes out to the mob, which actually was a pretty brave thing, and says, guys, you know, don't do this wickedness, please. And then Lot does something incredibly stupid. Here, here, here's the part that people, I almost hate to bring this up because if you don't already know this story, but probably many of you do, I mean, you're just going to struggle with this guy. You're, you're thinking, what an idiot, okay? But he, here's Lot's solution. In verse 8 of chapter 19, he says, Behold, I have two daughters who've not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing uh, to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, Lot gets right the hospitality. Lot gets right protecting the innocent. Uh, Lot gets, or the innocent men anyway. Uh, Lot gets right, you know, be, being a guy who's like, no, you know, this homosexuality, you know, this is horrible, you know. Okay, Lot really gets the other part wrong, okay? Is, is giving your two daughters to, to an angry mob, is that is that a righteous solution to the problem here? Absolutely not, okay? And let's just call it like it is. I mean, Lot has lived in Sodom so long, he has seriously damaged his decision-making, okay? I really believe that's what happened here. I mean, they, they have immersed themselves. This family has immersed themselves in, in, in a wicked, totally wicked world so for so long that when Lot's got to make a split decision about how to how to solve this problem, he does an incredibly stupid thing, okay? Now, fortunately, God is such a God of grace. God doesn't let that happen, okay? Lot's solution doesn't get any any, any even airtime with, with these two angels, all right? Basically, what they do is they grab Lot by the collar, jerk him in the house, slam the door, and then they, 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 they blind the men. They blind the mob who, who, who's outside the, the door, okay? So the angels tell Lot then, all right, guys, you got to get out of this city, okay? This is plenty evidence that this city is corrupt. So they're like, okay, guys, you got to get out. In fact, verse 16 is very clear how they get out. In verse 16, it says, but he lingered. So the men seized him. They, they physically grab him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. Do you hear that? The Lord being merciful to him. All right. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Basically, lots, get, he, they grab him by the arm and they jerk him and they drag him out of the city. Okay. 
You know what? Some of you came to Christ just that way, didn't you? I mean, I really think that's a pretty good picture of how some of you came to Christ, how, some, how I came to Jesus, you know? I'm immersed in this cesspool of wickedness. I'm going the wrong way, and God grabs me by the arm and jerks me out of that life and into the kingdom, all right? That's really what happens with Lot. That's what happens with, with his family, with his two daughters and, two, and, and with his wife. They're jerked out of the city, skipped to the end of the story. By God's grace and by God's mercy, Lot, his two daughters, are saved from the judgment of God. Uh, God's judgment is real. Okay. Uh, we live in a world that, that, that is going to be judged for their sin. Uh, this should impress upon us the seriousness of sin. Okay. That, that God delivered the righteous and he punished the wicked. That happened. It happened in Genesis nine with the flood. It happens again in Genesis 19 with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, when we looked at the new Testament, when we go over to the new Testament, we, look, we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus used, uh, this, this for a very particular purpose in his preaching. Uh, let me read you two instances where Jesus refers to Sodom and Gomorrah in his preaching in Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. He says, and if anyone will not receive you, he's sending his disciples out here. They're going to preach the gospel. And he says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for your town. then in chapter 11, listen to this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. He says, and you, Capernaum. Capernaum was a city that, that saw lots of miracles by Jesus. Jesus did lots of miracles in Capernaum. And he says, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You, you know the way Jesus uses the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, okay, you know what a lot of people believe? We talked about this week, this, this week in, a, in a group of men. A lot of people believe that, you know what, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Um, that, that's, that's the most prominent religion in America. If you ask someone, do you think you're going to heaven? They're going to say, yes, I do. If you ask them why, it's because I'm a good person. Uh, th- this week, a group of men and I, we talked about how ridiculous, how irrational that even is. Andy Stanley has written a book called How Good is Good Enough. And in that book, he talks about, okay, you know, how, how good do you have to be to go to heaven then? You know, if, if your answer is, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person, well, how good do you have to be? You know, how many good works do you have to do? How many bad works do you not have to do? What's the standard? You know, how do you know when you've arrived? How do you know you're not one good deed too short when you get to your death? You know, how do you know that? You know, is it just good outward deeds or is it good motives and good heart and good thoughts and good mind? You know, what's the standard we're using? What do we do with verses like Romans 3, 10 through 12 that tell us that no one is righteous, no one is good? You know, no one meets God's hand. What do we do with those verses? And and in other words, kind of the conclusion we came to this week is, you know what? It's really a ridiculous thing. It's an irrational thing to think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. There is no way to prove that. There is no way to be able to be sure of that. And here's what's behind that. I believe what's behind that is people do not think seriously enough about God, about eternity, about righteousness, about holiness, about justice, about the wrath of God to really ever make any rational decision for their own life. They're just assuming I'm not a pervert like these guys in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not the worst of the worst like these guys in Sodom and Gomorrah. So surely I'll be okay. You know the way Jesus uses Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, you know what? If you ignore the Bible, 
If you were in a church and you heard the gospel every week or you had, a, had, had three churches in your neighborhood and you had Christian TV and you had Christian radio and you had all these opportunities to hear about the Messiah and about the gospel and about the resurrection and about the miracles of Jesus and you ignore all that, it's going to be better for these perverts in Sodom on Judgment Day than it will for you. That's a scary thing, isn't it? That that's how Jesus preaches this. He goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, you, get, you think they're bad? Well, let me tell you, those who reject the cross. You see, these guys hadn't heard the story of the cross. These guys didn't have a New Testament in their lap. These guys didn't have a church to go to. And Jesus said, it's going to be worse for you. There'll be more severe judgment for you in the judgment day than for these guys. So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn a couple things. First of all, God is going to judge sin. God's going to judge sin. And if, you're, if your hope is that you're, you're not as bad as the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the thing you're hanging on, that's, that's your religion, is that I'm a pretty good person, it's going to be worse for you than it was for them. Now, there's some other truths we need to get from this as well, okay? Number one, please don't, don't let that skip over you. Judgment is going to come, and the only means to escape the judgment of God is the mercy of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, His shed blood, you repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Him. All right, let's look at Lot, though, okay? Because we, we need to look a little bit more at this guy's life. It, it is true that Lot was a man of faith. We know that from Second Peter. It tells us he was a righteous man. We know that he was delivered out of the city, okay? We, we, we know those things are true. But what we also know here is that Lot had some really poor decision-making skills. Uh, Lot did not make decisions as a spiritual man. And we know that Lot lived in such a way to greatly harm his family. So let, let's, let's see what in the world happened with this guy, okay? We'll go back to Genesis 13, okay? We see the downfall in Genesis chapter 13. Uh, Abraham and Lot are together still at the beginning of chapter 13, and everything's going great, okay? Uh, he's, he's with Abraham. Uh, Abraham's a man of faith. They're being blessed. They're being prospered. Everything's going good. But they get too big as far as their possessions to stay together, okay? That happens at the beginning of Genesis chapter 13. And so Abraham, being a man of God, says, look, we don't want there to be strife between us. We don't want there to be strife between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, your employees and my employees. And so what we need to do is we need to get some distance between us, all right? Abraham, you would think, being the patriarch, being the guy, the older one, the uncle, being the guy that led him out, you would think Abraham would say, hey, I'm going this way, you know, you go the other way. But Abraham, being a guy of grace, people of faith are also people of grace, Abraham basically says, look, you pick which direction you want to go and I'll go the other way. All right. So so all of a sudden Lot is faced with his first big decision. OK, thus far, he's just been following Abraham. You know, he's just been kind of riding on Abraham's toe. But now Lot's going out in the world on his own and he's got to make his first his first decision. Which way am I going to go? OK, let, let me ask you, how do you make the big decisions in your life? Because this is a big one for Lot. First big one. But how, how do you make the big decisions? You How do you make the decision of who you're going to marry? You know? How do you make the decision of, of what kind of career you're going to pursue? How do you make the decision of, of, uh, of um, where, where are you going to invest your money? What are you going to do with your money? What are you going to buy? How much are you going to save? Uh, where, where do you make the decision? Where are you going to go to church? Or how many kids are you going to have? Or uh, uh, You know what I'm saying? All those great big decisions of life. What, what are you going to do with your evenings? What are you going to do with your weekends? What's your family going to look like? How do you make those decisions? Okay. Well, let me, let me tell you how Lot made his decision. Okay. If we look down in uh, Genesis chapter 13, look with me there. Verse 10, 
It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus he separated from, from each other. Uh, Abram set, settled in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. Okay, so what is, how does Lot make his decision? He looks and he says, wow, well-watered, green, grassy, man, over here you got desert. I'm taking this one. I'm taking the, be- I'm taking the one that looks most financially prosperous. That's his, only, that's his only category. That's his only standard. Okay, Lot, Lot's got one thing he considers. What is going to be the best financially prosperous thing in my life? Okay. Now, what else do we know about Sodom? Well, verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord, okay? What else do we know? Well, the land of Canaan is the promised land, okay? So we know two things there. Lot doesn't even take into consideration, okay? Lot doesn't consider, hey, you know, how's this going to affect my family? You know, what's it going to be like to live in this city with with all these great sinners? I know Abraham, he's not settling down in the city. He's going to live in tents. He's going to travel around, you know? What what is this going to... Lot doesn't consider any of that. Okay, Lot moves up next to Sodom. Okay, go to chapter 14. Chapter 14, another little piece of information. In verse 12, uh, there, there, there's an attack on Sodom. Lot gets taken with them. Uh, it says they also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. Okay, so Lot moved close to Sodom in chapter 13. He's in Sodom in chapter 14. And then we go to chapter 19 in verse 1. It says the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Who sits at the gate of Sodom? City officials, right? Important people in the city. Lot, Lot is now fully integrated into Sodom. Now, we got to be real careful here, folks, because I do not at all want to tell you that we should not be building Christ-revealing relationships with our community. You know what? You need to be in your community. You need to build fr- friendships with lost people. Those friendships need to be the kind of friendships where you are continually revealing Christ to them through your life and through your words, Okay. That's not what Lot is doing here. That's not what Lot does at all. He's not building Christ-revealing relationships. He immerses himself into Sodom, and he becomes like Sodom, okay? Let me read you some verses that are, that are really important to me, especially when I, when I talk to my kids. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13, 20, this is one that I've made each of my kids memorize. It says, He who walks with the wise... Will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Every time the companion of fools will suffer harm. In James chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, in, is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's interesting if we go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, it talks about Abraham. And it says, And the scripture was fulfilled and said, Abraham believed God, was counted him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham becomes a friend of God. Lot becomes a friend of the world. Okay, that's what happens here with Lot. He moves into Sodom. He surrounds himself. He surrounds his family with evil, adulterous, homosexuality, immoral relationships. He's not in a church. He's not with the people of God. He's not strong enough. He's not like Abraham to make these right decisions. And it has incredibly damaging effects upon his life. Okay, what kind of effects? Well, let's look at his relationships. Okay, 
We don't know all the friendships Lot had. We know that when he, try, when he goes against these guys, nobody respects him. You know What they say in Genesis 19 is, hey, who made you a judge over us? You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. Get out of our way. We want these guys, okay? But surely he made some sort of impact, right? You would think maybe he made some impact upon his sons-in-law, right? He's got two daughters. They're both engaged. They're betrothed. There was usually a, a betrothal period. It was pretty much like marriage, but they, they just weren't in the household yet. So his daughters are still in his household, but they're engaged to these two guys. You would think, well, surely with these guys, surely he's made a difference in their life. Listen, listen what happens here. In chapter 19, uh, verse 12, look at verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone that you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. The angels will tell them, you got to get out of Sodom. For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place. For the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Lot finally has an opportunity to bring the word of God to these young men. uh, Guys that surely he's cultivated a relationship with. They're engaged to his daughters. This is really sad to me. He's a joke to them. Do you see that? Man, he's bringing God's word. I mean, surely he's... He's speaking with fervency. Surely he's got passion in his voice. God's going to destroy this city. Wrath is coming down. You know what they do? They laugh. You know, I I think that we can live in such a way that people don't take us serious. Don't you think? We can live in such a way that when when you, it's time for you to communicate some serious things about God. Nobody takes you serious. So his sons-in-law, they, they just think he's joking. They think he's a joke. What about Lot himself? Man, this, this is, the, this is the, the worst phrase, I think, in the whole book. Okay, Look in verse... Um, we'll read verse 15 and 16. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters... Who are here, lest ye be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, but Lot lingered. He lingered. He lingered. Man, judgment is coming down. God is about to open up the heavens and rain fire and brimstone from the heavens and destroy everything in the valley. And and, and the angels are there. They're they're grabbing. They're saying, you got to get out. You got to get out now. You got to leave Sodom. This is all going to be destroyed. And Lot lingers. He lingers. What does it mean to linger? It means you don't really want to leave, right? When, when you're at the, at the McDonald's playland and you tell the kids they're up in the slides and the equipment, you say, come on, let's go. What do they do? Every time they linger, don't they? You know, they might be obedient, but they linger. What does that mean? They don't really want to go. They're slow about it. They don't want to leave. They're looking for excuses not to leave. They, they, they want to be here, not where they're going. Man, God has just said, I am going to rain fire and brimstone. I'm going to destroy this place. My wrath is coming down. And this guy lingers. He wants to stay. Folks, that's incredibly sad. But let me ask you this. You're at a sermon. You're at a Bible study. You're in your own morning quiet time. And you open up the word of God. And God speaks his truth to you and says, man, you're in this sin. You got to get out of it. Do you ever linger? What ought to happen? Man, we ought to get up. <laughs> I said, God, 
man, I don't want, I don't want to be there. I don't want, I, I see what you're saying, God. I'm living in sin. I got this thing in my life. And God, I know that your wrath comes down on sin. And so I'm, I'm getting out of it, God. I'm, get, I'm up right now. I'm out. God, I'm out of this sin. I'm turning away from it. I'm repentant. I'm making things right. I'm going to go reconcile. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to get an accountability partner. Or do you linger? Now, linger doesn't mean you're not going to go, right? It just means, yeah, I probably need to stop doing that. We'll see. We're going to pr- I'll pray about it. Oh, yeah, right? Folks, it's inexplicable why Lot would linger. But, you know, in the same way, there are times where God tells us to move and we linger. What about Lot's wife? So there's his sons-in-law. They think he's a joke. Lot himself, he, he, he's lingering around in the city. He doesn't want to leave. What about Lot's wife? Well, they grab him by the arm. By the mercy of God, jerk him out of Sodom. And God tells them specifically, the angels say, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look. Don't, don't, don't long for Sodom. We're not going to go to the edge of the town and let you turn around and, and, and think about all the sin you had there and, and all, the, all the wicked stuff. You're, you're not, you're, you're not going to do that. If you want out, you go. Don't turn your back. What happens? And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She loved Sodom more than she loved where they were going. But Lot makes it out, right? And his two girls. What about his two girls? What about them? (laughs) Chapter 19, verse 30. Now Lot went up. Out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. I'm not. I'm not even going to read this deal. It's so so bad. Basically, what happens is Lot, Lot's such a messed up guy. He doesn't go find Abraham. I, I can't for the life of me figure out why he doesn't go find Abraham. You know, but he doesn't. He doesn't stay in Zoar. He goes up in a cave, and evidently he's just terrified of of everything. He goes up in a cave. He keeps his daughters there. His daughters think, man, there's there's no hope for us. Okay, and remember, where were they raised? Where were they raised? Sodom. Okay, see, it doesn't make sense until you remember where were they raised at. So, what, what's their answer to this problem? We'll get Dad drunk two nights in a row, and we'll have relationships with him, and that way we'll have kids, and we'll we'll continue our our family line. And they do, and they do continue the family line. They have two boys, Moab, and Ben Ami. You know, you know who those two boys end up fathering? Two nations. The Moabites and the Ammonites. That ring a bell? If you know anything about your Old Testament history, two enemies of God's people for generations. Two idolatrous, pagan, wicked people groups. Okay, what's true? Well, Lot was a righteous man in the sense that he was delivered by God. Okay? Righteous. Internally does not always mean you get everything right. What it means is that God has mercy on you and covers you with the blood of Jesus. What's also true, Lot made some horrible choices with his life and his family. And it cost him dearly. He reminds me of 1 Corinthians 3.15. Jesus is talking about the different way that people build on their life. People that come to the gospel, then what do you do? What do you do with that? 
What, what, what do you do with your rest of your life? You know, you come to the gospel, you come to faith in Christ, and then what? Well, hopefully you begin to build on that foundation with, with Christ-centered works and Christ-centered relationships and Christ-centered mission. And you begin to pull away from the world and you begin to, to, to let the Holy Spirit change you and be righteous. But you know what? Some people don't build on it with the right things. And, and in verse 15, it says this. If anyone's work is burned up. In other words, what, what you did with your Christian life was just fluff. It was not, nothing genuine, nothing lasting. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Not a picture of Lot. <laughs> He's saved, but what's he come out with? Nothing. No heritage, no lineage. Abraham, what's he got? He's got Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, and the twelve tribes of Israel all the way to the Messiah. What's what's Lot got? The Moabites and the Ammonites. One more thing I, I want to tell you. Don't, don't don't miss this either, because this this is really to me powerful. Notice, notice this. Notice in Genesis 19, how, there's kind of a summary statement at the end of the story. Verse 29. So it was. Abraham's up, up. He walks back up on the mountain. Kind of the same place that he interceded is what, what, what the Bible implies. Walks back up on the mountain. He's looking at the valley. Smoke's coming up like a furnace. Okay? And listen, in verse 29 it says, So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered. Listen. God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities which Lot had lived. What does it mean to re- when God remembers? It means he, he remembers your prayer. What is Abraham doing in chapter 18 when he's like, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's... He's, he's interceding for Lot. He's concerned about Lot. He's praying for Lot. He's praying for God's judgment not to fall on Lot. And God hears the prayer of Abraham and God comes in and grabs Lot through the angels and pulls him out of there and saves him as through fire. There are people in your lives. Are there not? There are people in your lives and and you're thinking, I think they're a Christian. They claim to be a Christian. I'm not, you know, but their life, they have a white hat or black. I can't tell. They got a gray hat. Sometimes they look like it. Sometimes they don't. Man, they're so immersed in the world. I'm just not sure. What should you be doing? You should be praying for them. Just like Abraham. Did did you hear Lot? The way I take that, Lot was pulled out of Sodom. How? Through the prayers of Abraham. Folks, what do you do with all those people in your life who claim to be believers, but they're so immersed in the world you can't tell it? Man, you pray. We've been having uh, 12 hours of prayer every other week. We're going to continue to do that. I'll be real honest, though. That's not been a success. Um, I put in my four-hour shift from 2 to 6 this last Tuesday. One person from our church came to pray in those four hours. Now, here's the cool thing. That one person is going to be baptized next week, okay? So... Praise God to that, okay? That's, I'm really excited about that. But you know what I'm, I'm, I'm a little disturbed about? And there's a lot of things here. It could be you're all working. That, that, I mean, that's a real possibility. That you, you guys, There's a lot of you, you work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You literally could not make it here. 
And we're, we're thinking about maybe, maybe going 5 to 5, maybe 5 a.m. to, or 5 a.m. to 7, maybe make it 14 hours. I, we, we can change it if we need to. You guys need to give us some feedback there. It could be that you're praying at home. You know, it could be, hey, pastor, I got up, man, I prayed for an hour at home, and I, I didn't want to take the drive time, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. I'd rather pray that 30 minutes. That could be it. That's cool. But here's my fear. <laughs> my fear is... that we as a church are not serious enough about the people in our lives that need to be prayed for. We say we care, but we don't care enough to come pray. And again, that might not be true. I pray it's not. I pray it's not. Man, this is a powerful picture of, of a guy who's immersed in the world and another guy who intercedes and God hears his prayer. That's exciting to me. Father, I pray that you would make us, God, make us people who are willing to intercede for the, those who, who are in our lives that, God, we, we, think, we think that they're Christians, but their life is so messed up and so in the world and they're so bound by sin. God, maybe, maybe, maybe we're those people, God. And I just pray, Father, that we would learn a lesson here from Lot and that we would be people who intercede, people who, 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 who make the right decisions in life, who... Who, who don't get immersed in the world. Father God, help us. God, help us to be the people you've called us to be. God, show your mercy, God. Pull us out. In Jesus' name, amen.